When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the final Football Social Daily show of 2021. Yep, the year is almost a wrap with 2022 racing around the corner. However, despite the inevitable New Year's resolutions that will be broken, come on, let's be realistic, they'll be broken to bits <laughs> in the coming weeks. Here on Football Social Daily, we are powering on as your ever-present daily Premier League podcast. No rest for the wicked here at FSD Towers and alongside today's show we've got a special New Year's Day podcast with Jim, Marley and Niall but we'll be getting back to the day job of the Premier League on Sunday night. Right then so the focus on today's show is the curtain raisers for 2022. Four Premier League games as it stands, we all know that could change, but as it stands, four Premier League games penciled in for January 1st. Arsenal's top four metal will be tested to the extreme as they play host to league leaders Manchester City. Leicester are another team looking to build on some positivity after that huge win over Liverpool. They take on struggling Norwich. Then in part two, we're going to check in with the later games on New Year's Day as Tottenham go to Watford and Crystal Palace play host to West Ham. Right then, my name's Fergal Brennan. Let's get stuck into this. Joining me to put a lid on 2021 and usher in the new year, we have Niall McCorn. Niall, any wild plans for New Year's? Oh my gosh, Fergal. At the moment, it's a toss-up between going to my grandma's or going to the Grapes, which is the local dive pub. And uh, I think I'm swaying towards my grandma's house in my old age at the moment, mate. So that's where, where things stand right now in my uh, really exciting life that I lead. Um, it's just nice to have a bit of time off, mate. So I might even just kick my feet up and uh, and take in the, um, take in the fixtures as, as much as I can. Bring in endorsement for the grapes there. Any Pompey fans listening, uh, if you're heading to the grapes <laughs> and you do see Niall, uh, say hello and Happy New Year uh, from us. Alongside Niall, do you have uh, Sports Social's Joel Tudor? Do you have any more exciting plans than, than Niall? Um, yeah, I think it's probably way more wild. I'm going to just get a curry and kick my feet up. Oh, Joel, you've made me jealous immediately. <laughs> come on, I come over then, I'll get you, I'll get you all on me. <laughs> Joel Frazee with a couple of poppadoms. That's what I call a wild new year. 
do the best uh, the best new year's plans are the most straightforward ones if you make a big plan for new year it does uh, it does tend to fall in the bin right let's get stuck into the games on new year's day um Mikhail Arteta won't be going out on new year's eve because he's missing this game after testing positive for covid-19 he's going to be at home putting his feet up and watching it like the rest of us. So I want to talk about Arsenal and, and their form, not just over Christmas, Joel, but in, in the last kind of six to eight weeks, a little bit of a stumble in November and they've bounced back. They've reacted to that defeat to Liverpool and they've they've pushed on, put themselves in a position to get a Champions League place, which I can tell you as an Arsenal fan, I'm surprised, very surprised about. Um, and for me, the interesting stat that is actually coming out of this, because there's almost so much focus on the attacking kind of verve of young players like Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli, Martin Erdegaard starting to really come into his own. But they've only conceded one goal in the last four in the Premier League, and that's played a big, big part in this. But against City, they're coming up against the top scorers in the Premier League. So it's not quite the irresistible force against the immovable object. I definitely wouldn't paint Arsenal as that. But this is going to be a real measure for Arsenal. No Arteta, he won't be in the dugout. That will probably have a little bit of a role, even though he's going to take training and still be involved. But Arsenal have come unstuck against the big boys this season. They lost to Liverpool, as I mentioned before. They got battered by City at the Etihad. And they lost home and away to both of them last season. So that fragility that is always kind of haunted Arsenal in the last five years or so is still there. But what Arteta has done has tended to lose a big game and then reacted with a positive run. Can he reverse that this time round and avoid giving Arsenal fans a heart attack by getting destroyed and then winning five or six games? Can he get a positive result from this based on the way they've played in the last few weeks? Um, I don't know about you guys, but I got the worst deja vu when I saw that Arteta had a COVID case. It took me right back to March 2020 when it all started unraveling again. I was like, no, surely not again. Well, that was the last game I ever watched before the pandemic was Pompey against Arsenal in the FA Cup. We got beat 2-0 at Fratton Park. And then the next day, everything was off because I reckon the Pompey fans gave Arteta COVID and ruined the Premier League for everyone. Well, we've heard it first. It all came from the South Coast. But um, yeah, I mean, well, Fergal, I'm going to flip the script and say, where do you think Arsenal are actually going to finish this season? Because for me, Arsenal are that team this season where they do, they're doing very, very well against the so-called weaker sides, where they're getting results week in, week out. However, when they play the big boys, and Manchester United are included in this, they end up getting turned over. So what's the kind of target and where do you think Arteta is actually going to take you in the next year? I think the realistic picture, to be absolutely honest, is is Europa League. Uh, I'm pleased the where we are now. I think I'm not going to throw in the bin the fact that we couldn't get a Champions League place. Ah, you're possible. doing the two colour approach. Two colour approach around us, and no, no, I, <laughs> no. I'm doing the Arsenal have broken my heart too many times approach. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and, I, and I look at the reality of the picture moving into New Year, and and I I see that being a bit more realistic. And and believe me, it burns me to say this. But I think Spurs under Conte are going to come like a storm. They've had quite a few games called off because of COVID. They've got two games in hand on Arsenal as it stands. And if they win both of them, they're right in behind us. Man United, I think, as, as we mentioned on, on previous shows, are some way off City, Liverpool and Chelsea. But Arsenal definitely are in that bracket as well. So that's the concern for me. But I think if, if I was to rewind the clock to the start of the season, we didn't qualify for Europe last season. That was a bit of a disaster. Arteta's managed to spin it as a bit of a positive, that we're not tired from travelling to God knows where in the Europa Conference League, that we've actually got more 
ability to focus on the Premier League. But at the start of the season, the realistic, the pragmatic, not very exciting objective was a Europa League finish. And I, I do think we'll get it this time round. I, I just think, not that the other sides are better than us, necessarily man for man, but I think when the those games come round, I think Spurs, particularly with Conte now in a position are better equipped to get a draw against Liverpool or get a win against Liverpool or City or someone like that. And the concern for Arsenal is, I, I look ahead to these games sometimes and I think if we can just last 20, 25 minutes, start to get a bit of a foothold, then we've got a chance. But we've got such a dreadful record of just getting murdered early on uh, that, that it fills me with dread. Do, would you would you agree, Niall? Am I right to be this terrified of Manchester City just turning Arsenal over? Yeah, I think you are, Fergal, to be honest. And, <laughs> you know, it's one of those with the Gunners. Thanks where very much. Against all the a Happy New Year problem. to you as well. <laughs> yeah, Happy New Year. Um, you went with the old uh, last Christmas wham. Okay, last Christmas I gave you my heart. The very next day you gave it away. That is Arsenal. Um, they win the hearts back of the fans. Arteta does that, wins the fans back on side, and then they go and play play a team like Manchester City and get beat 4-5-0. And I've said this on Football Social Daily a couple of times that Arsenal... They don't want to be left in the best of the rest category. I mean, they're a massive club in this country. They have aspirations of being in the Champions League. But, you know, the realists amongst Arsenal supporters will probably be looking at the Europa League like you suggest, Fergal. And it's, you know, it's a shame to see Arsenal in that best of the rest category. But I think against all the other teams in the Premier League, they seem to turn up decent displays and win regular games. They're being strong at the Emirates again, which is something they lost for a little while um, under Arteta initially, but their record generally at the Emirates Stadium since they moved there from Highbury, what, 15 years ago now, 16 years ago, has actually been very, very good. So to keep that solid foundation at home is is always useful. But coming up against the bigger sides, they do tend to get a bit of a hiding. I mean, they got tonked by Liverpool. They've been battered by Man City already this season. So I can understand the concern of the Arsenal, Arsenal supporters. I think the one thing that Arsenal have had this season, which has stood them in good stead, is that exuberance of youth. Players like Bukayo Saka, players like Emil Smith-Rowe, who are on their first contracts and have nothing really to lose. And we've even seen that with other young players that have come through Arsenal and moved on. Players like Joe Willock, for example, who went to Newcastle and probably took that loan opportunity with both hands and thought, I've got nothing to lose here. If I show how good I am for Newcastle, I might well get a chance at Arsenal. In the end, he stayed at St. James's Park. But that's... I guess kind of one example of many young players who have been given an opportunity by Mikel Arteta and have looked to take them because there's that element of fear or lack of that element of fear I should say there's no fear of failure because you know they're only young kids so to be tasked with keeping Arsenal at the top end of the Premier League is too much to ask of those young players even from the most you know negative Arsenal fan I think would would suggest that it's impossible for those young players to kind of carry the mantle when it comes to Arsenal and their success you'd look at the some of the more experienced players to do that the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette and maybe Xhaka and those are three names who you know might not be even at the club come the start of next season so you know in terms of how long a rebuild takes it takes a while and I think Mikel Arteta is still in the middle of that but the green shoots is something we've discussed on the show before of them being there in terms of a style of play. But definitely those young players have given Arsenal that little bit of something. And although they'll probably remember being involved against Man City earlier on in this season where it was a, a you know one horse race, so to speak, it was one sided completely. Um, 
I just think with the likes of Saka and Smith Rowe, these young players have got absolutely nothing to lose and everything to gain, and they're enjoying their football. And players like Martinelli as well seems to have uh, recovered from niggling injuries, and he's scoring goals again. So I mean, it could be quite an exciting um, end to the season for Arsenal. But I think if they can avoid a a real hammering by Manchester City, that would stand them in good stead because. Like you say, Fergal, you build up the momentum and all it takes is one adverse result and to get beat by three or four and that all gets sapped away again. As the old saying goes, confidence is, is hard to earn but easy to knock and I guess that's the, the thing that Arsenal need to be wary of this weekend. Yeah, that's most definitely true. And and looking at City's position against Arsenal, particularly since Arteta's come in, Joel Peppers tended to, to give his old apprentice a few lessons in these games. I know Arteta's not going to be in the dugout this weekend, but... Pepper's kind of banned talk of title challenges and then being favourite. He said he doesn't really want to get involved in it. But the picture doesn't lie. Ten straight wins in the Premier League is a fantastic run of form to be going into this game on the back of. They're eight points clear at the top of the table as it stands. And despite Guardiola kind of page number one of how to win a title, don't mention the title, um, they are red-hot favourites. And you'd look at a game like this, it's an opportunity for them to lay down a marker to say, we're not taking our foot off the gas. Arsenal are banging form, they're in the top four, but we want to kind of flex our muscles and show just how good we are and make it 11 wins and give a shout to Chelsea and Liverpool and say, we're not slowing down. It might have been New Year's Eve last night. We weren't out on the beer. We're just concentrating on defending the title. Yeah, this is a it's a huge game for City, this. I don't think it can be understated because obviously Chelsea and Liverpool play each other as well. And a win against Arsenal will put them 11 points clear and suddenly when those points start to get into double digits, it can become a big psychological thing for your challenges then, especially with the fact that Liverpool will be losing Salah and Mane in January slash February, which is going to be huge a huge loss for them, especially Salah. Um, but, you know, on the back of a 10-game winning run, which has become normalised for Guardiola at the moment, every single season it seems to happen, um, I, they're, they're right to be big, big favourites. And the only reason I say that is not even just the form that City are in, it's the fact that Arsenal crumble every single time they play the better teams. When you look at the last fixtures, <clears throat> when you look at the last fixtures that Arsenal have played, every single game that they've actually won this season has been against pretty much the weaker sides in the last 10 games. You know, when you look at Newcastle, then when you look at uh, the game against West Ham obviously West Ham had a, a man sent off then the Leeds game then the Norwich game but then all the games in between 4-0 away lost to Liverpool 3-2 away lost to Manchester United 2-1 away lost to Everton the games where you need to grind out a result and potentially throw away the way you've been playing during the season and adapt to make it difficult for the team coming to you, like you have to do with Manchester City. I don't think you can go jab for jab with City because they'll, they'll out-jab you. They've got too much strength. And I think that was, that has been kind of a, especially in the Arsene Wenger days actually, obviously after the kind of dynasty of that Invincibles fell apart, he was so adamant of playing the way Arsenal want to play that it just wasn't, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the quality of the league. And if Arteta, as I always call him, Pep Guardiola's co-man, if he has any kind of tactical nous, he'll abandon a little bit, potentially having to try and outplay, out-possession Manchester City and ad adapt to the game, adapt to the situation a little bit, which I think they've lacked a little bit in, in recent years. But obviously... As we've seen during the season, Manchester City have been rolling over every single side. Doesn't matter if they're big or small, they've been 
as I've described him this season as Ivan Drago, the way in which they just take punch for punch, even if they start to concede in a game, they know exactly what the mission is, even without a striker as well, which is pretty phenomenal. But that's what Pep Guardiola's teams are. And everyone always looked at that uh, Ferran Torres leaving. Any other club who lost a player like Ferran Torres, who had the potential, the youth and the ability I mean don't get don't underestimate the fact that Torres is probably one of the best young Spanish talents to come out of Spain in the last few recent years he's a he's a top player and the fact that City have been able to dispose of him for a very good fee tells you all you need to know about the fact that Guardiola's side are stacked with talent in every single area of the pitch and they're probably the only club in the Premier League who uh, who could afford to lose a talent like that because of course they have great talent themselves but obviously they've got such financial strength that they can lose they could probably lose Riyad Mahrez and Kevin De Bruyne tomorrow and they would end up getting in the likes of Frankie De Jong and someone of the quality of Riyad Mahrez it's not a problem for them so yeah they're, they're quite relentless aren't they and I think if Arsenal are going to put a statement down as to this kind of psychological barrier they have against the bigger sides tomorrow is the day be- uh, sorry not tomorrow uh, Saturday is the day because City are looking relentless and who knows if Arsenal actually put a dent in the armour and end that undefeated uh, win- um, winning streak you know, it could end up unravelling, but like I said, the Ivan Drago in this run, they just don't seem to be phased. So it'd be interesting to see the reaction. But yeah, I'm very convinced this City will win um, on Saturday. Uh, I speak from experience here, Arteta. Give your skybox a quick check because uh, if anyone needs to be keeping an eye on this game at the weekend, it is you, Mikel. So a little bit of advice for you there, but I wouldn't <laughs> give you any other advice because uh, let's face it, if I was the manager, we'd probably get beat 10-0. Right, let's move on. <laughs> Leicester City against Norwich. Niall, massive result for Leicester against Liverpool. 1-0, patched up defence, patched up entire team. And this just seemed like one of those nights, I know I know you cover Leicester quite regularly with, uh, with other work. This seemed to be one of those nights where the King power was just bouncing Schmeichel saved Salah's mm. penalty the players were running their legs off Adam Ola Luckman pops up with a, with a really really important goal to get them three points but the situation with Leicester is, is quite similar since the start of the season they've turned more co- corners than a hedgerow <laughs> maze because we constantly want to look at have they got over this are they still going to stop dropping silly points can can they get a bit of consistency together and the big stat that jumps out for me ahead of this game is that they've only won back-to-back Premier League games once mm. so far this season. You would expect them to do a job on Norwich. They're in really, really bad form and, and look to be already on the road back to the Championship. But the questions for Rodgers and for Leicester lie further down the road. Fantastic against Liverpool the other night. They, they just rallied everything behind them. But that needs to be shown on a much more consistent basis if they, like Arsenal, are to start meeting some of their expectations. Yeah, absolutely. It's consistency that's been the problem for Leicester this season. We know they've got a good squad with with great players. And, you know, in recent times, they finished just a jot outside of the Champions League places. In fact, the last two seasons, they finished fifth by virtue of missing out on the final day of the season, which would have really stung. And obviously, in in recent weeks as well, they've been eliminated from the Europa League. They lost that group game to Napoli 3-2 and that 
you know, knock them out of the competition and they'll now play in the Europa Conference. So now there have been issues for Brendan Rodgers this season and I think the main bulk of those problems have come at the back. So for them to keep a clean sheet against the Liverpool side who did have their big guns out up front, Salah, as you say, missing a penalty, uh, Sadio Mane was also playing. Um, for them to keep a clean sheet with a back four of Castagna, Amate and Didi filling in at centre-back and Luke Thomas um, is remarkable. Brilliant effort. Hamza Chowdhury, I think, started his first Premier League game of the season in the middle of the park as well. Iheanacho started up front and he's not really been afforded much game time by Rodgers this season. So as you say, Fergal, a brilliant performance from Leicester, a real stern, strong, tough, steely performance from them. Um, so to shut out Liverpool is a great achievement. And I think maybe it speaks volumes that it was a makeshift defence and they kept a clean sheet. Um, and I think that that might just be a sign of where the frailties lie in that Leicester side. Now, Johnny Evans has been suffering with injury pretty much since the FA Cup final last season. Um, he had multiple injections in his foot and was desperate to play in the Cup final. Did, had to come off after 20 minutes. Hasn't quite been the same since. Comes back from that foot injury and then I think has picked up a hamstring problem or a calf problem now. So he's out. Shagla Suyuncu hasn't looked the same since Turkey got decimated in the Euros. So you're talking about as uh, you know two players who are maybe short on fitness slash confidence and then arguably the best performer of the lot at the back in the last season and a half has been Wesley Fofana who had his leg broken in pre-season before the campaign began a week before the Premier League season started so he's been missing so you know you're looking at these players who have been playing at centre-half for Leicester City and really you've got Daniel Amate who isn't the best player let's not be too rude about it but he isn't the first choice he's the only one who's been regularly fit really when it comes to centre halves Vestergaard's been in and out of the team as well since they signed him from Southampton he hasn't quite been right so for them to have Amate and Ndidi as centre backs and keep a clean sheet against Liverpool I mean some people might just say it was one of those nights where all the stars aligned and there was a bit of luck involved and you do need a bit of luck to beat Liverpool Schmeichel was inspired and you know Salah missed a pen and hit, hit the crossbar so it's one of those where you do need a little jot of luck to win those games but I think it's interesting that it's a completely makeshift defence and they've not leaked any goals whereas actually if you look back across Leicester's results over the last few weeks you'll see that they've conceded on average two a game for a long long time now you're thinking even against Man City they conceded six uh, against Napoli, they conceded three. Against Manchester United, they won 4-2, but they still conceded two. So you're talking about a team here that concedes a lot of goals, which is not something you usually associate with Leicester City. So for them to keep a clean sheet, maybe that is the springboard, the catalyst they need to light a spark underneath them and get them on a run. And who better, you wouldn't handpick a side to, to play than Norwich um, in your next game. After beating Liverpool, they should go on and beat Norwich. But as you say, you know, consistency has been an issue for Leicester City so they have to beat Norwich I think they will beat Norwich if they don't win um, or even if they draw it's going to be one of those where Leicester fans again will be thinking oh here we go again and it does feel a bit like Groundhog Day they've been kind of trudging along this season Leicester they'll pick up a result here and there and as you say fans will think they've turned a corner and then the next game they'll put in an absolute horror show and stink the place out so it's a case of you know really making sure that they hit their mark, hit their straps early, get a nice early goal against Norwich, I think, put the pressure on them. Because if they don't, then we could find themselves in a similar position um, as they have been at other times this season. But I'd fancy them to beat Norwich. 
Brendan might have stumbled on something there. Forget about playing defenders in defence, midfielders in defence. All this, all this logic of defenders at the back. No, just get anyone in there, and you get a clean sheet against arguably the best attack in in European football. Another Brendan Rodgers masterclass. Um, you'd be forgiven for saying Joel that this might need might not need a Brendan Rodgers masterclass to get past Norwich because that little burst of positivity when Dean Smith came in got himself a win got himself a couple of positive results that has all just drained away five straight defeats um, in the Premier League and, and it was pretty toxic against Crystal Palace uh, on the 28th of December the, some of the Norwich fans singing some unsavoury stuff towards Billy Gilmore and frustrated because they're absolutely decimated by injuries they've got a number of Covid cases right the way through the first team squad and at the other end of the table Pep Guardiola doesn't want to talk about Manchester City being nailed on to defend their title but I think we can safely talk about Norwich being pretty much nailed on to go to go back to the championship yeah you're definitely right I mean we're not seeing any signs that they have any fight in them to actually get the points that's needed to at least put the pressure on the teams ahead of them and it, the main thing is that it equates the goals they've got one goal in the last seven games which is appalling and the game that they actually scored in was when Newcastle had a man sent off so it tells you all you need to know about where the issues lie obviously it has slightly improved since Daniel Fark left when they were on a kind of I think it was a 20 game Premier League game um, defeated in a row 20 games uh, defeated in a row in the Premier League which they is they just kept losing um, basically yeah they just kept bloody <laughs> losing it was like a, you could put your money in your house on them losing and I swear to god you'd be in the Maldives by now it was just so inevitable so I, when I say improved, I mean 1% marginally improved. But like you say, they've had a lot of COVID issues. They've had a lot of injury issues. However, so have many other sides. I mean, Burnley have got four games in hand, five games in hand. They'll probably end up being able to catch City with the amount of games in hand they've got. And then you've got teams around them that have had a lot of issues. So I don't buy into this victimhood that a lot of these managers are putting out at the moment. Every single team has got issues. It's the Premier League. Injuries happen every single year. COVID, of course, is a bit of an anomaly, but it doesn't discriminate one side. It's every single side. Next week, there might be a whole team that have a whole bunch of COVID cases and that's their next two weeks in the drain, pretty much. So no, I don't buy into it. It's purely a case of quality. One goal in seven games, five defeats on the trot. There's big one warning signs there at least with the likes of you know Newcastle and Burnley and Watford and Leeds they actually have a little bit more quality to say okay they actually stand a chance of actually staying up this uh, this season whereas Norwich for me they're down and out they've scored 10 goals this season um, which is abs sorry not even 10 goals they've scored 8 goals this season which is poor every other team ahead of them has scored double which is really alarming and you know, Pookie was the kind of saviour for them. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know where they're looking to be honest. They've got no goals in the side, and although Dean Smith had that nice manager bounce, it lasted very, very shortly, and it seems to have just dissipated into thin air at the moment. And I think they're going to need more than a miracle to stay up this year. Um, and with the games that they've got coming up, I mean, it's not looking good for Dean Smith in his side. But I do think they stand a better chance with him than they did with Daniel Fark. I think that was just something that had to happen in terms of a change. But when you look at Norwich's side at face value compared to all of their other relegation battlers, I would say, you know, they're the poorest quality side. They're the least invested in. And I think the writing's on the wall for him, unfortunately. 
yeah, it's going to be a tough few weeks ahead for Norwich. We're going to grab a quick break. After the break, we're going to be looking at the other two games from New Year's Day. Watford, who are struggling down the bottom of the table, just like Norwich, take on Tottenham. And Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace play host to West Ham. We're going to be previewing both of those games in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. It is New Year's Eve. If you're getting ready to go out and celebrate New Year's Eve, if you're having a bit of a calm one, if you're having a curry like Joel, if you're having an evening with your grandma like Niall, whatever you're doing, just make sure you stick on <laughs> this podcast and give it a listen. Because despite being Christmas and New Year and all the Christmas pudding and Brussels sprouts and everything else that you've been shoveling in over the last week, we are still here every single day on Football Social Daily. If you hit subscribe, you can get access to a brand new podcast. We are your daily go-to source of all things Premier League. Right, we're going to get stuck into the other two New Year's Day games. Joel, I'm going to go to you first on the first game, Watford against Tottenham. Before the break, we talked about Norwich and their struggles. And Watford are not in as dire a straits as Norwich, but they are struggling. Um, I flagged up in the notes probably the two things that I always think about with, with Watford. Claudio Ranieri being the nicest man in the Premier League and Emmanuel Dennis always getting a goal even if Watford get a bit of a whacking and that has been the case for the last month. They've lost their last five games. As I say, Dennis has popped up with a few game, few important goals but the pattern with them seems to be that they'll score a goal, they'll stay in the game, they'll pose a bit of a threat and then they just fall apart. Defensively, they've been dreadful, whether it's Ranieri or whether it's the previous regime. They, they just can't keep clean sheets, conceding in and around an average of just over two goals per game this season. And when you're fighting down the bottom of the table, it's all well and good knocking in goals and the odd exciting result like the United win or the Everton win when Ranieri just came in. But ultimately, if you're shipping goals left, right and centre against teams around you in the table, the writing is probably on the wall for how your campaign is going to end. Yeah, I, I don't think the writing's on the wall just yet for Watford. Um, the only reason I say that is because, and I didn't even realise, Emmanuel Dennis is fourth top scorer in the league this season out of nowhere. I don't know where these goals have kind of been chipping in. Uh, I'm sure he'll end up getting poached in the summer, but... Yeah, it seems as though, you know, obviously they played their cup final against Manchester United and they've just kind of fallen off from there where it's gone quite sideways. Obviously, five defeats in the last five games, which, of course, is not a great form at all. Um, however, they've not been down and out in the games that they potentially could have got points from. I recall when they played Chelsea, um, when they were at home against Chelsea and they were quite unlucky to take points from that game. Chelsea only just got the the winner with uh, Zayec. But then, yeah, apart from that, I mean, they have played some pretty decent sides in that time. Obviously, Manchester City rolled them over. Uh, Leicester away rolled them over. What, uh, West Ham. So they, they have played teams which you know, are more than likely to actually take the points against them. But I do have hope in that's the fact that, like you mentioned, they do have Claude, uh, Claudio Ranieri, who he's been there before. He knows the drill when it comes to um, the business end, especially of the season. I'm not saying he's going to win the title with them, but um, they have some pretty vital fixtures coming up. And the big one 
the big two is uh, Newcastle and Watford shortly after the Tottenham game and I think they could give them either the breathing space that they need or it's going to very much bring them back into the fray of the talk of the relegation uh, battle but at least for me and this is the very big contrast to Norwich is the fact that they have goals in the side when you have a player who's scoring eight goals fourth in the Premier League table um, with the goals scored at the moment you always have a chance and this is where that's probably their biggest asset I would say when you look at all the rest of the teams you know Newcastle they don't have very big scorers the chipping here and there Norwich non-existent um, so I think that's where the strengths are going to lie and at the moment they're just hovering just above Burnley who obviously have a good four games in hand um, but you know I think Newcastle and Norwich are the ones that coming up they're the ones they have to take points from if they're going to have any sorts, sort of chance to stay up in the next in the next weeks I would say in terms of giving themselves that psychological uh, break from having to hover just above the relegation zone but I have confidence in them I do think that they will stay up but it's a case of that 18th spot with you know the likes of Leeds hovering around it Burnley hovering around it that they're all sides who you would automatically also say have an even better shot at staying up so it will be interesting but I think Watford have got good attacking presence they just need to sort that defence out because they've conceded 14 goals in the last five games which is is concerning uh, looking at the picture with Spurs and Antonio Conte, Niall, they are moving in the right direction in terms of going up the table and racking up positive results. Obviously, they bowed out of Europe in, in fairly controversial style, but in the Premier League, we're starting to see his methods, his mantra and his positivity radiating out uh, into the players. And fairly good return over Christmas, beating Crystal Palace on Boxing Day. For me, maybe a little bit unlucky against Southampton after they went down to 10 men. They just they just couldn't quite force the issue and obviously they got two or three controversial VAR decisions going against them in, in that one that stopped them getting three points on the South Coast. But things do look positive and I, I mentioned uh, in previous conversations when we've talked about Arsenal and the position of where Tottenham could potentially chase them down in the race for the top four. They... They do seem like this is all primed for what Conte wants. He wants to keep them back, keep them back like a bit of a coiled spring and then just bang. And Harry Kane's an example of that. He's had a very mixed start to the season. There's been a lot of attention on him. And we're starting to see the confidence, the swagger and the goals coming back for him. And they're up against the Watford team that as Joel has just put forward there that do score goals and do cause problems for teams but leave themselves wide open against the Harry Kane that looks to be getting back to his best. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, Antonio Conte a few weeks ago when things weren't going quite so right for him, I think almost suggested in a roundabout way that he had bitten off more than he can chew. And I think his quote was something along the lines of, this is going to be a tougher project than I first anticipated, or at least that's what it felt like reading between the lines of what he was saying. And he's taken that, in his stride and we know how good a manager he is but we know how disruptive he can be behind the scenes and he, he doesn't suffer fools gladly Antonio Conte whether that be players whether that be the hierarchy at Tottenham Hotspur but what he does do is he gets you results and he gets you playing and that's exactly what Tottenham have just started to do now and especially at this time of the season when there's so many games in such quick succession for him to try and you know, really bring that through and, and shine through and get Harry Kane scoring again, which was one of the big conundrums that Spurs had this season. I think that's testament to him. And, you know, we've spoken about Spurs' attack before. Um, 
the likes of Son, Kane, Lucas Moura, they're all dangerous players who can hurt you. Um, it's just kind of what have they got else just in case those players aren't available. And I think that that's still one of the conundrums that Antonio Conte will, will have to solve. Um, we know that Conte likes to play with wing backs, or at least that's what he did the last time. He was in the Premier League with Chelsea and he turned Marcos Alonso and... Victor Moses into two of the best fullbacks in the Premier League, if not in European football for one season, which is, uh, I think, testament to his quality as a manager to get those two performing, you know, like Prime Cafu and Roberto Carlos for a season. Um, whether we'll see that at Spurs is another question, but definitely, I think you're right when it comes to Harry Kane. If you can unlock Kane uh, and get him firing again, I think. The hangover from the failed Manchester City deal did last long into the season, but now here we are on the brink of a new year um, in the final six months of the season, the second half of the campaign, and we'll head into the run-in. And if Tottenham can start scoring, uh, finding Harry Kane in, in good form again and scoring goals, and we get to around February, March, and he's still banging them in, you know, that could spell danger for all the other sides trying to... F- fight for the top four so I definitely agree with you I think that they are a dangerous uh, proposition they are a threat they do have a couple of games in hand as well which um, you know can go either way there are two schools of thought isn't it it's you've got the advantage because you know what you have to do but also you've got the pressure because you know what you've got to do so I think games in hand are what they are but from what we've seen from Tottenham particularly from their their games recently uh, uh, over Christmas there were some really exciting games that, that they've had where there was a real back and forth 2-2 with Liverpool I think it was which was an absolutely brilliant game just before Christmas if I'm right in thinking it might have even been Boxing Day I can't remember they're all amalgamated into one these games but you know they showed there against the tops a top side that they're still capable of uh, of being dangerous on their day and that's something that they need to get back into their into their ethos is that belief because Tottenham need belief and I think that that's one thing that they've been criticised of not having is is a soft underbelly Um, you know so if people can get at Tottenham I think they're still beatable but um, if they can poke their noses in front and and, and kind of keep the pressure on I think they'll be all right so so yeah it's really interesting to see what will happen with Spurs and I think now some are seeing them as favourites for the top four with the way things are going they do have the Antonio Conte factor he's probably the best manager outside of the current top three in the Premier League. So that certainly counts for something. Will the players listen to what he says? Will the players take on board his his methods and, and ways of working? It looks like they're just starting to do that. So it, it's never quick. It's never overnight in the Premier League. But he's got now four months until the end of the season to, to show exactly what he's capable of with Tottenham. And I think it will once again prove how good a manager he is if he does get them into the top four after the beginning they had. Yeah, and it always gives a terrifying window uh, into what exactly goes into catch-up because uh, Tottenham are absolutely flying in terms of all the key physical stats since Antonio Conte comes in. So, (laughs) kids, make sure you're reading your source bottles. Big January coming up for Tottenham as well. Obviously, Watford on New Year's Day and then they've got a Carabao Cup clash with Chelsea double header more coming the FA Cup and then a North London derby and Chelsea again before the end of the month so a massive few weeks for Antonio Conte final game for New Year's Day we've got ourselves a London derby to wrap things up Joel Crystal Palace against West Ham both of them got themselves back on track in the post-Christmas pre-New Year era um, getting a win after losing on Boxing Day Palace losing to Spurs and uh, West Ham slipping up as well so important that they ended on a positive note that they didn't carry that kind of negativity over into the new year and and these things do you know have an effect on players on managers on supporters and Patrick Vieira and David Moyes can both probably pat themselves on the back for a strong first half to the season they didn't end it on a low note they ended it with a win so 
taking Palace first, Liverpool aside, who you know we know generally do tend to win the majority of, of games that they play, Palace's next block of games do look promising in terms of picking up points. They've edged themselves into the top um, into the top ten. The big question now is: Have they got another little gear, little gear change in January and in February to put themselves in the European conversation? Because Roy Hodgson, as as liked as he is and respected as he is within Premier League and within wider football circles, Crystal Palace were never going to qualify regularly, certainly for European football under Roy Hodgson but they seem to be a different beast under Patrick Vieira. I think with this match, we're looking at probably two of the managers of the season for sure. I've been impressed with both of them, both for different reasons, but Patrick Vieira, I I, I recall at the start of the season how how heavily criticised he was when Crystal Palace had a really rough first five games of the season. Everyone kind of started to um, compare him to Frank de Boer in terms of how he would start the the season with Crystal Palace and obviously uh, as you said Roy Hodgson left a pretty decent foundation for him to go off but obviously it wasn't of the quality potentially to he would still need to get the best out of them to keep them up put it that way Um, and it looks like they're going to be easily safe they can look more ahead rather than below them which is at this stage of the season something huge for a club like Palace Um, and they've been one of my favourite teams to watch this season I've liked the way Patrick Vieira seems to go into especially the big games and really sets up his team in the way that it isn't just to survive it's to potentially rob something from them especially as we saw away to Manchester City like to win it away there two goals to nil um, is a rarity and he set them up so well in that game it's just the games in between and obviously before that game they kept drawing consistently I remember saying on a podcast how they just need to they just need to convert those draws into wins or losses just do something with them and it looks like they have done that but they seem to be um they they seem to be going very very disproportionate i would say obviously they got a 3-0 win last time out against norwich which i guess is a given um but they had they've had really impressive wins Uh, obviously that home win against everton was one of the probably one of the standout games of the month I would say just in terms you know Conor Gallagher really staking his mark in that team and making wavelengths around football especially amongst Chelsea fans um and then yeah of course the the away game against Tottenham is a difficult game and with Conte making Tottenham decide they are at the moment it's always going to be difficult but like you say they're up against the West Ham side who have begun to tail off slightly obviously they have been in and thereabouts in terms of the top four positions but their last game against Watford that 4-1 was massively needed after they had that sucker punch home loss to uh, Southampton but yeah with Crystal Palace I'm I would probably favour them for this game I've been really impressed with them their home form has been really good uh, in contrast to their away form which has been absolutely poor but you know Vieira had his critics at the start of the season and I think he's really proved them wrong they're only what five points away from Manchester United um, and two points away from Wolves in eighth which is a really good achievement considering they've barely spent what I think 20 million in the summer and that was um, Mark Guehi apart from that he's pretty much gone with the foundations of what he was left with and obviously uh, Edson Odward who's really started chipping in with the goals and assists so he's done really well with the tools at his disposal and to get the best thing for Vieira is he can just look up 
no teams below them are going to start sucking them into a relegation fight, which is what everyone kind of banked them on to be at the start of the season. Uh, looking at the picture with West Ham, Niall, going into this one, they did bounce back from that defeat, as, as Joel said, on Boxing Day, losing against Southampton. That would have been frustrating for, for Moyes, particularly because they probably deserved to get at least a point. But Watford, 4-1 four, four away from home, really impressive performance. Jared Bowen, again, turning in another cracker for uh, for West Ham. And you get the sense that they're not going to give up on the top four race without a fight, even if it means they maybe come up short and get a Europa League or Europa Conference League place uh, come the end of the campaign. But the big one for me is squad strengthening in January. The window probably can't open soon enough for David Moyes. He won't have a King's Ransom to spend in the next few weeks, but big injuries, particularly at the back. Ogbonna is out until the end of the season. Kurt Zuma's probably going to be featuring again, maybe in springtime when he gets over his own problems. But we've seen with a couple of COVID cases and a couple of big injuries that West Ham have a really good, maybe one to 11, one to 16. But outside of that, they are quite thin. And if Moyes can get some names in in the next few weeks, then they will keep pushing to get a European spot. Yeah, for sure. And you're right, Fergal. They need a centre-back and they need a centre-forward for me. They're, they're the two key positions that they need. They probably need to sign a goalkeeper, but that'll be in the summer because Fabianski's, I think, well into his late 30s now and still playing well. So there's no reason to suggest he'll leave. But I think that, that you know, getting in a goalkeeper or bringing a youngster up through is not the worst idea to do with you know, goalkeepers of that age, you never know what's going to happen <laughs> at any given time. But certainly at the back and uh, up top is what they need. Um, like you say, because of the injury problems, I think a centre-half will be useful. Is there anyone they can pick up from some of the lesser European leagues, much like they've done with the likes of Socek and Soufal and Alex Kral was a player they signed in the summer, uh, the last transfer window, and he played quite well the other day as well in the fleeting glimpses I saw of West Ham, um, central midfield player. Of course, there's always going to be question marks over whether Declan Rice is going to stay or is he going to leave. I don't think he'll leave West Ham in January by any stretch, but in the summer, there's always going to be those rumours as to whether Declan Rice will stick around. So maybe they need to look uh, and future-proof that midfield position. So uh, I think that will be it, Fergal, you're right pick up some players in January, particularly considering Mikhail Antonio isn't a conventional striker. He's done a brilliant job at it, by the way, but he's a winger by trade. And, you know, he hasn't scored for a while. I think 10 games or something he, he hadn't scored in. Um, uh, at least that was a recent statistic in which he was going through a bit of a goal drought. And uh, they've got no real backup for Mikhail Antonio. Now, Jared Bowen can play through the middle. We've seen him do that in cup games this season and at times in the Premier League when it's been called upon. But Mikhail Antonio's fitness record is always there to be shot at. Um, it's not a clean bill of health, let's just say. So the chances are Antonio will go down with injury at some point, particularly with the amount of games that West Ham have had this season and through this period. That's why we've seen him miss a couple of Europa League games at times as well, just to try and keep him fit. So they need a striker. They sold Seb Allaire, didn't they, to Ajax. He's gone on and done really great stuff for Ajax, but they need some other option, whether that's a player they can sign from the Championship, much like much like Brentford and Brighton um, have done, sorry, much like Brighton and Southampton have done, I should say, with Che Adams and Neil Mope, respectively. Is there someone they could sign? You know, Ben Brereton and Diaz is banging in the goals for Blackburn. Could he be a great option as foil for Antonio or as a, a replacement option for Antonio when he's not fit? So, you know, there are options out there, but it's definitely something David Moyes no doubt will be thinking about. As for centre-halves, yeah, like I say, could they just go into a into the Czech league and, and pick up pick up someone much like, you know, Manchester United picked up Nemanja Vidic quite famously in the January transfer window from, I think it was Spartak Moscow. So, you know, could... Could 
West Ham go in and do something similar and sign a player who could make a huge, huge difference for them. So a couple of signings at the very least in January, I think. Um, whether the owners will do that remains to be seen. They've just had this new investment, West Ham United, so maybe that will encourage the powers that be at the London Stadium to dip into their pockets. But you're absolutely spot on for me, Fergal. I think the two key positions at centre-half and centre-forward. And if they can strengthen there, that will give them the best possible chance of qualifying for Europe, which I think their performances so far this season has deserved. It's going to be a very, very exciting January transfer window. Before we wrap up, obviously, the new year is upon us. The transfer window is about to swing open and the season is going to get even more serious. So I just want to grab a quick 2020 tip from you both. Joel, going to go to you first on this. It can be a player, can be a team, could be a transfer target. What is your Premier League tip for 2022? <sighs> Bloody hell. Um, my Premier League tip is that Manchester United are getting top four. Okay. You, I feel like I was dragging that out of you. You're allowed, you you know, Manchester United fan, you're allowed to, but I don't think that's a, that's a wildly unrealistic statement. And say, I, I had to find that from the depths of my heart to bring that out. Listen, you know what? Back your own team. I'm always in favour of that. I was very, very quiet when we were talking about Arsenal and City at the start of the podcast because I couldn't bring myself to say that I think Arsenal will get whacked, even though I think they will. Niall, transfers are going to... Oh, and I'm also, I'm also going to say something quite dramatic. Chelsea are going to drop out of the top four. <laughs> Ooh, okay, 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 okay. I feel that if we keep asking you, we're just going to keep dragging these these dark secrets out of you. Niall, obviously transfers are going to be a big focus, <laughs> but there is going to be, there's going to be a title race, there's going to be a top four race. It is going to be, hopefully, a massively exciting second half to the campaign. What do you think could be the big story? Do you think we could see a big name coming in, maybe Newcastle going big, or, or someone else in the Premier League looking to make a move to, to secure European football, or maybe a, a firmer title challenge? Uh, I think Pompey will win the League One playoffs. Um, and back to the Premier League, I think that <laughs> um, I think we'll see Erling Haaland finally touch down in the Premier League in the summer of 2022. So I know it's a bit of a cop out because it isn't strictly the rest of this season, but I do think it will happen in the next 12 months, the next calendar year. I think we will see Erling Haaland become a Premier League player. And that is exciting. That really is exciting. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I think we'll also see uh, some interesting departures as well because I think Aubameyang's out of contract at Arsenal. Lacazette's out of contract at Arsenal as well. Sorry, not Aubameyang. I think Aubameyang's going to leave Arsenal because of the situation that he finds himself in. Lacazette is definitely out of contract. There are some big names out of contract in the summer uh, and they can start signing pre-contract agreements now. So I think Haaland will be top of the bill in terms of the big name. That'll be my tip for a Premier League arrival but I'll also think we'll see some real interest in moving and shaking because there's some top players out of contract the likes of Bale Modric just to name two um, who will find themselves free agents in the summer so there could be some interesting deals done even as soon as this January so that will be that'll be my prediction I think magic stuff yes there's probably going to be some movers and shakers in the next few weeks and months and I would love to see Erling Haaland in the Premier League because he is an absolute phenomenon right we're <laughs> going to call it there for the New Year's Eve edition of the Football Social Daily Joel Niall whatever you're up to tonight you've given us your plans earlier on you're free to change them but whatever you're up to tonight have a brilliant New Year and uh, I hope you enjoy the evening cheers Fergal and you thank you you too great stuff and as always here on the football social daily hit subscribe on this episode and you can get a brand new podcast every single day we are your daily source of all things premier league thanks so much for listening have a fantastic start to 2022 and we'll see you again very very soon 
Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.